does God have a belly button? <laughs> I've never preached a sermon quite like this before. And, and um, this is every parent, every parent has had to deal with their own curious George. Have you, have you had your own curious George? I, we, we had two of our curious George. Um, and it's not easy answering uh, their, you know, their rapid-fire questions, right? Um, and of all the questions in this series that we've had to turn into sermons, this has to be the, the most curious, the most inquisitive, and also the most playful, um, uh, playful one. <clears throat> A recent study uh, done in, actually this was done in, in the United Kingdom, um, a recent study there shows that curious children bombard their moms an average of 73 questions a day. Poor mothers. <laughs> 73 questions a day at the height of their curiosity around age four and you know, even be beyond that. Um, so so what, what we have here often is 14 hours of unrelenting flurry of interrogation from your own child from 6 a.m. to bedtime, right? Uh, parents, can you, can you um, um, empathize with your fellow parents? Yeah, and, and the study further shows that four out of 10 parents often feel hopeless and overmatched. They don't know what to do. When I was parenting, uh, you know, I, mean, I mean, I didn't have a smartphone. I, I couldn't go Google any, you know, anything they ask about. Um, and parents these days, they resort to all sorts of things like Google, Google and uh, sometimes they would fib. Yeah, we've done that, right? <laughs> fib. <laughs> uh, and also some parents turn to you know, becoming a little bit, giving cynical answers just to fend them off, Right? Yes, I've done that a little bit too in my day. Take a look at some, some of these questions that uh, our curious kids ask. Mom, why don't humans have tails? That's a funny one, right? And how about this for a cynical answer? Oh, they do. And, uh, and they have horns too. <laughs> so tweak, you know, try to mess with the mind of your, of your child. But where is it, mom? Where's the tail? Well, you, you, you got to look hard enough. <laughs> How about this one, dad? Why can't I see my eyes? That's fantastic, right? And dad says, look, you got to look harder. And don't look in the mirror either. It's cheating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how about this one? Mom, why don't I have, or why do I have to, to eat broccoli when dad doesn't? And mom says, go ask dad. <laughs> and, and, and then, and then so, so, so he goes to dad and says, dad, why do I have to eat broccoli when mom doesn't? Get that? <laughs> All right, there you go. He's starting early. Yeah? Okay, you got to watch those kids because sometimes you know, they'll, they'll pitch you against each other. Um, and, and, and here's another one. What did, I, what, did I what did you feel like, or so, sorry, what did it feel like on your last day being a child? And the answer is, I'll let you know when I get there. <laughs> yes, uh, we've dealt with our own Curious George. And this one is a Curious George um, um, question, a Curious George, which, which, which demands a Curious George answer. And it's not an, as easy as you might think. I had to study really hard for this, more than any of the, ser the, the sermons I, I, I've preached in this series. Uh, so today, we answer a curious George question, does God have a belly button? 
uh, from somebody who's going to be baptized today, as I said, uh, Daniel Farolino. So, um, Daniel, congratulations for, um, for starting so early with those questions. Uh, your mom tells me you've got tons more questions than I can, I can, I can only imagine. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so, let me start with this, then. Let me start with this. Let me ask you this simple question. Maybe we can put this to rest, and I can, we can just call it a day, and we can all go home. How many, of you here, how many of you here do not have a belly button? Don't stand. Don't look. You can look in the shower when, when you shower tonight or tomorrow morning, whenever you shower. All right. So now, I asked Dr. Chris Stokes, one of our good doctors, who happens, he's not here today, but I asked him to give us a little bit of a background as to what belly buttons are and if we should all have one. So take a listen. Good morning. Do you know what your belly button really is? Your belly button is actually a leftover scarred down tissue from where our umbilical cord is cut at birth. All human beings have an umbilical cord. It's what connects the embryo to the mother and it's what keeps us alive while we're growing as a baby inside of our mothers. It is important for transporting oxygen and nutrients so the baby can grow. And oftentimes part of the uh, process of monitoring a pregnancy is to make sure that there are no problems with the umbilical cord. Once a baby's born though, they no longer require that type of connection. And so the umbilical cord is clamped and cut and then it scars down and falls off. And this is very, very normal part of human uh, anatomy and um, all human beings have them. So the question is, is did Adam and Eve have them? Does God have a belly button? Those will be debated forever. And then the next debatable question is, were they innies or outies? All right. <laughs> Hope this helps. Have a great Sabbath. All right. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Stokes, for obliging me. I actually asked. There's an innie right there, by the way. Anybody here has an innie? Uh, don't look. And there's an outie. <laughs> yeah, this is really a fun, fun sermon. Um, so every person, here's the thing, every person born from a mother's womb, that is all of us, we all have a mother, we all have a belly button. Surprise. Yeah. And apparently, there are two types, only two types of them, and there they are, an any or an Audi. That one looks like a, 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 like a, what does that look like? What does that look like? It looks like a, a, a logo. Yeah, it looks like, <laughs> it looks like a logo. <laughs> anyway, that's a, that's a bump if I've ever seen one, right? Um, yeah, which one, which kind do you have? Don't look now. You can look later uh, and let us know. <laughs> All right, so let's start to circle this question, to circle, as it were, our belly button. Um, and let's start, uh, oops, uh, where, I think, uh, let's see. Oh, boy. I think I've messed things up here a little bit. Anyway, all right, let's, let's, let's look at this, uh, first of all, through the eyes of human anatomy, all right? Anatomically, only mammals have belly buttons. So if you're a reptile, you don't have one. Um, so, but only mammals of a certain kind, those that develop in the mother's womb. 
Some mammals are not born from a womb, apparently. They don't have belly buttons, marsupials. Um, that would be the kangaroos and the koalas over there in, uh, in, in, in Australia. They do not develop inside their mother's womb. Therefore, they do not have belly buttons. Where do they think they develop? In their mother's pouch. They have a belly pouch. Okay? And after birth, a newly born marsupial makes its way up into the mother's pouch. Uh, up up and uh, into the mother's pouch, and their, their mom, or mom, carries this marsupial and feeds it and, until it's fully developed. Um, and, and by the way, every, every, uh, every marsupial uh, ends up calling its baby Joey. That's Joey. They're all Joeys. Yeah, I, I don't know why, but all the Joeys ever born are, uh, are, don't, do not have, do not ha have a belly button. By the way, so here's, uh, here's Joey, newly born Joey. As you can see, Joey is very underdeveloped, and they're meant that way. I mean, that, that's a marsupial right there, a kangaroo baby, a Joey. Um, uh, so, so immediately as Joey is born, he climbs up to that pouch. You see that little slit right, up, right above um, or just right below the chest, right there. That's where he goes, and he will bury himself in there, find a, a nipple there, and he will attach himself to a nipple, and there mom will carry and will nurse and feed Joey until Joey is about uh, this big. Wow, I, I would say, Joe, it's time to walk, man. <laughs> Look, your mom's pouch is sagging already. It's time, Joey, it's time. And here's Joey... Actually, getting fooled by a, uh, uh, what, what is this? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, a human or maybe a, a, a wolf in, in kangaroos. Uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty funny, isn't it? And, and there are also egg-laying mammals, and egg-laying mammals like platypuses, uh, also don't have belly buttons, apparently, because they aren't born from a mother's womb. Uh, platypuses lay eggs, right? How many of you have chickens? It's, it's along that line. And the shells, the shell protects uh, the unborn uh, platypuses, and the yolk serves as its food until it hatches, just like a chicken. Now, none of these, of course, apply to God. Why? Because God is not a mammal, and he is not a created being. God, after all, is creator of everything. He is not created. He's not a creature. Here's what the Bible says. Um, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then also, it says, our scripture is, is very plain, that God is not only creator, he's also eternal, or he is infinite. That is to say, he has no beginning and he has no end. And there are, you know, um, references in scripture, one of, one of which is in, in, this, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, where it says, the eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And then there's this text, found in Isaiah 45, verse 5, that God, you know, there's, no other, uh, there's no other being like God. And, and it says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. So it's very clear just from these alone, just from these alone, 
From the vantage point of human anatomy or even mammalian anatomy, those mammals, once again, that nurse their babies in the womb, um, it appears that belly buttons are a characteristic found only among mammalian class of creatures that carry their young in the mother's womb where the fetus is, is developed, nourished, and cared before it is born. It is a very specific characteristic of a certain class of creatures that God created. God created them this way. And God, therefore, himself is above and beyond these characteristics because he is God. He does not have a belly button. But of course, this is probably not the last word. Uh, you know, let's continue to circle around our belly button, as it were. And let's look around, let's look at it uh, from another perspective. Let's look at it from a spiritual perspective. We were looking at it from a, uh, a purely human perspective anatomical perspective, and now let's look at it from a spiritual perspective. Isn't there another way of looking at this question? We say, yes, of course, that you can always circle a tree and you will get different perspectives from doing that. What if, what if, looking at it spiritually, we were able to perhaps even uh, surmise that God can have or does have a belly button? Would that change anything? It would seem ridiculous to think that God has a belly button, doesn't it? I mean, it would have to be a really gigantic one. <laughs> I, I, would, I wouldn't want I, I to you know, rest in the bosom of God when his belly button would, 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 would swallow me up. You know? uh, of course. You know, but, but, but we've often wondered how our physical features compare with God's features, haven't we? we you've done that. I, I, I've done that myself. Uh, when I was younger, I used to wonder, you know, about these one-to-one -one, one -one correspondences between God's anatomical, I mean, my anatomical features and God's. Um, we humans love to do it to animals. Um, uh, you've probably uh, read of Aesop's fables when you were a kid. Uh, and Aesop's fables are filled with, uh, with animals that, are, uh, uh, that talk that have human characteristics, that have been given human characters. Of course, they don't, but humans love to do that somehow. Um, we have the likes of Mickey Mouse, the, you know, the most famous mouse in the whole world. Or my favorite growing up, Bugs Bunny and Looney Tunes and how crazy they were growing up and how you know, they always you know, ended up somehow crushed somewhere and then they'd get up and do it again. Um, what's your favorite? I mean, uh, humans love to attribute uh, human characteristics to creatures, uh, to understand them, to give them a little bit of a kind of a human characteristic. And it's actually called anthropo... This is a, a, a tongueful. Can, you, can we all say this together? Anthropo, anthropomorphism. It's a, a tongue twister, isn't it? And we do this same thing to God as well. We like to give God some human qualities um, and human anatomy as well, and quite literally, you know, quite literally at that. And uh, we often reason like this. Isn't God a person like we are? Um, he may not be a human person, we say, but he is a person nonetheless. And doesn't the Bible say that he has eyes? Of course. We, 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 you know, we, we can... I mean, we don't have time today to, to, you know, to reference every single scripture that, that point to the fact that God does have eyes. The Bible says God has eyes. 
and we humans have eyes. So, of course, we would, be, we would tend to, you know, put two and two together and say, hmm, what kind of eyes does he, ha- he have? Does God have blue eyes? Maybe he's blonde. I don't know. Um, does, uh, doesn't the Bible say also that he has ears, hands, feet, face? Haven't we heard or read in Scripture about Moses wanting to see the face of God? And that God, out of his infinite mercy, decides, you know, you're going to die if you see my glorious face. And so he hides his face from from Moses, and he passes Moses by, puts puts Moses in the cleft, in the cleft of a rock, therefore, you know, the hymn was born. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my soul. Oh my goodness. God has a face. Some kind of a face. And, and, and so we say, so why not think that God's anatomy corresponds with our anatomy at every point? Only bigger and better. God has a nose, eyes, ears, hands, feet, face, and so on and so forth. Only bigger, only better. And, of course, you know, um, thinking along this line of reasoning... Come to think of it, we also treat other things in Scripture quite literally at that. Why not God's anatomy? Take the tabernacle as an example. And this is an example that has completely nothing to do with human anatomy. But uh, bear with me for a minute or two and you'll find out where am I getting, where am I getting with this, going with this. The tabernacle in the Old Testament, uh, let's take that as an example. There was a time in Adventist history and and theological understanding when many thought that every part of of the earthly tabernacle has a direct, literal, literal counterpart in heaven. Um, After all, they say, didn't God show Moses the original tabernacle in heaven with all its furnishings? And so you see all the furnishings there in that outer courtyard, and then you go into the inner, uh, in the inner sanctum or in the holy place, and then, and then in the most holy place. Um, so you start looking, if you start from the most holy place, you would look at the, uh, the throne room of God or the, the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments inside. Um, and then you, you'd have above that Ark of the Covenant, you would have, what do you have? The mercy seat, um, and, and, and so on. And, and, and then you open that curtain, you go into the holy place, um, and you, you, the first thing you see right there, smack dab in the center, uh, would be the, uh, the altar, the altar of burnt inc- incense. And to the left of it would be the table of showbread, and to the right of it would be the menorah or the seven, seven uh, candlesticks. Um, and, then, and then things start to, you know, that. that strict literal analogy starts to break down as soon as you leave the holy place and you get you go outside into the courtyard and you and you see you see something is burning over there and animals are being are being uh, uh, killed and are being offered one by one and you start asking yourself you know what about you know what about the uh, what about this uh, are there animals actually being killed in heaven only bigger, only better. Uh, is there actually a uh, uh, is there actually a um, 
an altar of, of sacrifice there in heaven, only bigger, only better? What about, what about the shovel that shovels those ash, ashes? What about the ashes themselves? Are, are there ashes in heaven, only bigger, only better? Obviously, there, you know, there, there, there must be no killing of animals in heaven. Obviously, no lambs are, were being sacrificed in heaven. And if there were no sacrificial lambs in heaven, would there have need for shovels? Only bigger, only better. Of obviously not. And as there, uh, and, and, and we say, is there really a tent in heaven with two compartments? Holy and most holy. And we even got into big theological debate about this um, uh, years ago, uh, before most of uh, some of our time here. Um, and, and, and so we begin to wonder, we begin to wonder, therefore, what is the sense in which, you know, one corresponds to the other? Or perhaps we can say that the holy and the most holy um, or the entire tabernacle is a symbol of the nerve center of the universe where God's throne is, where God dwells. The nerve center of the universe, the, the, the center of the universe where everything of consequence in heaven and on earth are decided by God and where things happen. And where, you know, and where the, uh, the um, salvation of humanity continues to unfold until the second coming of Jesus Christ. So pushing for a one-to-one -one literal correspondence breaks down quite quickly in that sense. Um, uh, if, we, if we push it too hard, it breaks down because in relation to, his, to God's anatomy, we, of course, know that it's through Scripture that God is not human. He does not have flesh and blood. He is what? God is spirit. And we're told in Scripture that spiritual things have their own rhyme and reason, and, and, and they must be understood in some spiritual way. Um. Spirit beings are only human-like because that's how our human minds can best understand them. And God comes down to our level of understanding and tells us that God has eyes and ears and nose and hands. And the list goes on. Take angels, for example. Now, how many of you have seen an actual angel? I don't, I haven't, so there you go, you can relax. I mean, not physically. I may have, but it, unless that, that, that angel uh, has wings that I, you know, I haven't seen angels with wings, have you? All the references of angels with wings in Scripture always, they, they happen only in visions. Have you ever noted that? They only happen in visions. When they're not in, when you, when, when, when Scripture refers to angels, and including the angel that you know that startled Mary and Martha, and, and you know the you know uh, the, the some of the apostles or the disciples on resurrection morning, we were not told that, that you know that um, that that angel had wings. In, in fact, yes, if you, look, if you look hard enough, you will find that um, angels are only referred to as having wings in visions to communicate something, 
to communicate, to describe, um, to describe how swift and how adaptable they are in going about doing God's errands. Um, and, and that their human-like feet are totally insufficient uh, to, to describe this swiftness and this adaptability and this willingness, this willingness to respond to God at a moment's notice fast and furious, so to speak. So they are always depicted in visions as having wings. In fact, those closest to God, we are told, uh, those that are flanking or surrounding his throne, have not just one pair of wings, but three. Telling you the extra devotion that these angels closest to God have in carrying out with swiftness, with adaptability, with ferocity even, even uh, we could say, the wishes of God. Whenever God says, I need you to do something for me. They are, therefore, these anatomical features of, of these angels, at least we could say, are representational. They're representational. Symbolic of who they are and what they are capable of doing by the grace of God at their level of existence. So it's not a matter of us just blowing up the nose of God in relation to how big my nose or how small my nose is. Christian author Madeline Langle captures the difficulty of depicting angelic beings in, in, in human terms. In her imaginative novel, A Wrinkle in Time, Madeline um, <clears throat> creates three angelic uh, uh, characters sent to earth uh, to help the Murray kids rescue their dad and, and, and the world from an evil and sinister darkness. So that's you know, the, the, the basic plot of, of, the, of that story. Unknown to the Murrays, especially their kids, their dad had discovered wrinkles in time and space and, uh, and, and called Tesseract. And, and, and unknown to the, to, to the to Murrays as well, well, to the kids, the mom knew something about it a little bit, um, unknown, but unknown to the, the Murray kids, um, Dad had discovered this, and he traveled through this. Tessering, they called it. And, 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 and he went from galaxy to galaxy uh, through, the, uh, through this, these wrinkles or folds in time and space. But, unknown to them as well, he went missing because he, he was held hostage by this sinister and dark, dark evil that, you know, that was consuming and about to consume the earth. And, and so that was the, the plot. And so... so um, in the story, um, three angels were sent to the Murray kids to try to rescue uh, their dad and to also rescue the world from this evil, evil darkness. Um, and one of them, the first one who was sent, was uh, somebody by the name of Mrs. Who. She arrives in a storm bundled in layers of clothing and sheets, um, so thick that the Murray, the Murray kids couldn't even physically uh, you know, make out her features. Uh, she was covered up in, you know, because she was trying to you know, pretend like she was a human being, but she was not. Um, and as the story unfolds, um, uh, she and two other angelic beings would lead the, these Murray children uh, across galaxies and to find their dad and defeat this evil. And then soon they would discover that Mrs. Who is actually not a human being, but an angel. And when she finally reveals her form... No words, they couldn't find any word to describe what she was like. Only that she was beautiful. And the 
one-to-one or one-to-one correspondence, her eyes to my eyes, and so on and so forth, started to break down. Why? Because they're insufficient. Insufficient to contain the form of God. And you know, I suppose that the same can be said about God and God's spiritual anatomy. When we think of him only from a human point of view, what, what ends up happening is that we whittle him down. To, we whittle him down to a manageable size, and we end up creating a small and safe God, a small and safe God created after our own image. That's what happens. Does God have a belly button like we do? It would seem no. And I'm tempted to just end the sermon here and say, that's it, folks. But we've got to look at another angle. We have to look at another angle. And this is the most exciting angle. It's the angle of Jesus Christ. You knew where I was going with it didn't you? Because all the things I've said made sense up to this point. But with Jesus Christ, he, turned every, he turns everything on its head and makes God having a belly button something not just acceptable, but good. So let's take a look at Jesus. Let's circle our belly buttons one last time (laughs) by focusing on Jesus. What happens when we look at Jesus? Well, we know for sure that Jesus was a human being. And by definition, he had a mother. And by definition, we have a record of his birth in the Gospels. And we celebrate his birth every year at Christmas. By definition, he's got to have a belly button, according to Dr. Chris Stokes. Every human being has a belly button. Unless it's been surgically removed. Scripture says, our scripture says, started out with verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of who? Of what? Of who? Of woman, of mom. But scripture is equally clear that Jesus' humanity is far from the ordinary. He was not an ordinary child. Scripture characterizes his birth as a human being, as, in these words, Emmanuel, God with us. In, now this time, you can take this one literally. God with us, that's what Emmanuel means. Im means with Immanu is with, El is God, so with us is God, or Immanu is with us, um, and God, El is God. So Immanu, Immanuel is God with us. So it does so because of, of who Jesus was, was before he was born. All of us regular humans were conceived in our mother's womb, thank God. I don't want to wake up one of these days thinking that I was born from a shell, or from a tree. But before we were conceived in our mother's womb, where were we? 
We had no existence. And that why, that's what makes Jesus Christ different. He was different because he, before he was born, he was. And he says to himself, and he, he clues us in, he gives us some clues. Before Abraham was, he said in John 8, 58, I am. Do you notice that? He didn't say, I was. I am comes from, the, you know, as uh, uh, English, English uh, uh, literature, I mean English, what do you call this, grammar, grammarians that we all are. Right, Laurelie? Where's Laurelie? <laughs> I am is a present a form of the word to be, which denotes infinite infinity. Before Abraham was, I am. Here's another one. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Before he existed as a human being, he existed with God the Father in the same form with the Father. Scripture tells us who Jesus was before he was born. And I'm going to take you to two places here very quickly. Our time is quickly running out. But in John chapter, uh, chapter uh, 1, verses 1 to 4, we find these words. You've, you, you've, you know this. Memorize this perhaps like the back of your hand. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was the same. Uh, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him. Nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's who He was before He became Jesus. He was the eternal Word of God. Amen? And, and, and that's what makes him so special. And here's another one. Uh, th these are only two of the, the many references of, to the divinity of Jesus Christ in the, in the New Testament. He is the invisible, or he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. By the way, when he says firstborn, he wasn't the first cre created, but he, he's, he's basically, he's got firstborn rights. He owns everything. Like, you know, like in, you know, I, let me see. Uh, in, my, in, in the old days, in, in my culture of, 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 of origin, it used to be, not anymore, but it used to be that uh, when it, it comes time for mom and dad to split up their uh, possessions to the different kids, that the firstborn got the lion's share. And in a patristic uh, tribal culture, it had to be, the firstborn male child. Thank God it's no longer like that. But that was the, the, the understanding of a lot of cultures. And so, so I'm just telling you that the word firstborn there is not first in creation, first created, but he superintends over all of creation, as you will find out um, later on. Okay, let, let, me, let me keep reading. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's Jesus Christ, our Lord. And there are plenty, plenty of circumstantial evidence, not direct evidence necessarily. You will not find direct evidence in Scripture that tells us that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God, uh, you know, just, just like that in, in a simple sentence, you will not find that, but circumstantially, you will be able to gather bits and pieces of Scripture here and there, and then you will, you will come to the conclusion 
you know, uh, with the same, to the same conclusion as the forefathers have concluded that indeed, indeed, in the whole universe, there, there are only three beings in the highest sphere of existence in the universe, the God sphere, there are only three beings that populate that. And it is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And, th- and these three interpenetrate each other's lives. They are united in love, in essence, and in purpose. And that what one is, the others are. I mean, you can, I mean it's, it's hard enough to wrap our minds around that. And, and they share, uh, they, 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 have, they, they have the same essence, they share the same essence, the same nature, and we might say the same spiritual anatomy. And the fact is that Jesus came, became a human being, then becomes a comfort to us because he was not just a simple human being, he was the pre-incarnate God the Son. And that it is through Jesus Christ that we could even playfully consider that God has a belly button and it would not be sacrilegious. It is only because of Jesus Christ that playfully considering that question is not sacrilegious. Because truly, through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, God is forever touched with our humanity. Part of Him is human. By choice. By choice. And because of this, we can confidently say, though, though not in a literal sense, that God has a belly button. Amen. And I will not be fearing for lightning to strike me. Because in Jesus Christ, that is true. That is true. So now we can finish our text in, in, in Galatians chapter 4 and beyond. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Who are they? All of us. According to Paul in Romans Everyone has been condemned, guilty, as charged. So that we might receive adoption as sons or children. And because you are sons or children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Do you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit wonderfully interpenetrating our lives in Jesus Christ? So you are no longer a slave but a son, And if a son, then an heir through God. An heir through God. I want to tell you a story to to, to end about a a, a dog by the name of Lady. Lady. My family and I love uh, animals. And every every single animal we've ever owned, uh, we've rescued. We believe that uh, there are too many out there that need help. And humans are not always very kind to animals. But Lady, Lady had that unfortunate luck 
that the people that she loved, her human family, rejected her. She was a beautiful black lab, and here's a picture of her. That's her. Um, lady loved her home and loved her humans, don't they all? Um, but one day, Lady got separated from her human family. We don't know how. Um, and Lady struggled to find her way back home, and, and she ended up walking 30 miles to go back home, to the home that she loved. And it made news. But what also made news was, as soon as she got home, her family rejected her and sent her to a shelter. It made news, and now Lady's story went viral, and a rich woman, an heiress to the Wrigley's Gum Fortune. If you've ever bought, bought a Wrigley's Gum Fortune, you've helped make this lady rich. Um, and a lot of them actually end up sticking underneath the pew. <laughs> so, what did I say that? It's true. It's, when, I was, when I was younger, I, I, I used to, you know, I was, listen, I'd find gum under the pews. Thought, Ooh. Yeah, anyway, anyway I, I, sorry. I didn't want to go. They just came out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so, so, um, so Lady made headline news twice because when this lady found or learned about her story, she immediately sent her private secretary to go and adopt Lady. Quickly, she says, and she sends her, and she says, uh, bring her back to me on my private jet. That's Lady, right there. And this amazing twist made Lady even more famous, because now she's living the life. After being rejected by, by her human family, someone rescued her, saved her from the unfortunate experience of being rejected by the people she loved. Um, and now she will live the rest of her life in luxury as an adopted feline child of an heiress who loves her unconditionally. Unconditionally. And you know, in a way, this is our story. Except that our story is even better but, because can you think of God not only sending his jet, his private, and his private uh, secretary, his angels, to come and fetch us, you know, with, you know, on God's, you know, intergalactic jet, but he, but he himself coming down to become like one of us. Can you, can you imagine God becoming a dog if we were dogs? And yet that is, that is exactly what he did. And, became, and, and made us be heirs of his kingdom. And so here we end. And here we end. And what do we say in ending? Because God in Jesus Christ has a belly button. We are heirs of God's kingdom forever. Amen. Father, we praise you and thank you that in Jesus Christ, you have a belly button. And knowing this gives us a lot of comfort, knowing that, Lord, you are forever touched by our humanity. Henceforth, help us to think of your 
spiritual anatomy as ways to inspire us to move like your beings, your heavenly beings that move swiftly with feet so swift to do your bidding, so swift to love others, so swift to serve. Make us be these as well, through the grace of your Son and through the power of your Spirit. For in your Son's name we pray. Amen.